Welcome back to Weed Chat. If you've ever delved into trying to grow your own cannabis, then you'll know it can be a bit of a challenge, but it's well worth the effort. Weed Chat about it. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. It's just Gorilla and myself today. Um, the cherub has decided to take the week to just dedicate himself to being our tech guy. He's going to focus on that. Um, but we do have another special guest today with us. Um, today, we have Doom here with us. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I go to school for botany. I kind of started my journey about over a year ago. I've worked in cannabis on the retail side for over a year as well. Um, and I'm currently working my way towards a bachelor's through Olds. Um, well, this week we have got a lot to cover with some very enthusiastic hosts, um, so I won't take too long to get into this. Uh, this week we decided to talk about growing cannabis. Uh, if you're new to growing, you may have a ton of questions about it, so hopefully we can cover some of them here for you. There are many different techniques and ways that you can go about growing, and some are easier than others. Some are a little more advanced. Um, we'll touch on some pros and cons. We'll also give you some money-saving tips for those just starting out. Um, we're going to kind of cover, cover some basics first. Then we'll go into some some different germination techniques. Um, and then from there, we are also going to talk about training methods. You know, just some more in-depth kind of techniques that go into growing cannabis itself. And then, of course, you know, the good stuff, the flowering, the bud. When is it ready? When can I smoke it? When can I chop it down? You know, all the fun stuff. But yeah, why don't we start off with, you know, what you need to do before you can even do anything. Your setup. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I guess if you're going to be growing indoors, it's really important to make sure you have a nice setup. Um, if you have somewhere that you can grow outdoors and you have the right environment, go for it. You're going to get way better yields. Your plants can get way bigger. If you are looking at something indoors, I highly recommend investing the money in something good. Um, if you're looking at a decent setup when you start up, it's it's really going to help you control that environment and fine-tune everything to the way that you want it and help develop that plant a little better. Well, absolutely. And, and the market has just kind of opened up to that, especially like with these stores that you can buy growing operations especially those tents those like mylar tents that you can kind of seal up uh the lights are readily available you have humidifiers uh, i myself have turned a ikea pax wardrobe into a little um grow closet if you will a little yeah. tin foil on the inside it uh works for the moment but i would prefer something a little bit more airtight <laughs> So, I mean, there's totally, like, cheaper ways to do it, but in the long run, if you want something that's going to guarantee you the best result, you do want to get something that's made for it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen some setups, too, where people will convert an entire room to, uh, to growing, and so long as you do your research, uh, get the proper materials, and, uh, and, yeah, invest properly in what you're going to be putting into that room, whether it be a couple of tents or just you know, insulating the room itself. Well, you have that. And um, to consider that cannabis likes humidity a lot more. So when you're having those high humidities, you do want to have something that is going to be sealed off just kind of to protect your house if you're growing inside. Um, and then there's also, you know, your cheaper versions of that as well. I've seen people use takeout containers instead, like the stuff that you get at Denny's. Uh, saran wrap, Ziploc bags, and uh, tinfoil works. <laughs> uh, I mean, that kind of 
kind of brings us into lighting a little bit too, which is a really big part of that initial setup. You want to make sure that you have a good light. Um, the wattage is super important. The type of light that you have is super important. Uh, you want to have a wider spectrum so the, the plants can really thrive as if they had the natural sunlight. Well, and that also kind of boils down to the placement of your light. I know for seedlings especially, you do want them a little bit lower, almost two inches from your grow media, because that's uh, that's going to help them grow. Otherwise, they're going to stretch themselves too much, and you don't want them to stretch because that just wastes too much energy. They become too flimsy, so you do want it about two inches above your grow media. Um, and I know most lighting, it will reflect a blue and a red spectrum because plants don't absorb green. They're already hmm. green, so it just doesn't go through. It's useless to them. So they like that blue, they like that red, a little bit of purple, and they're happy. I mean, the green light thing makes sense. I've never heard that before, but it totally makes sense when you think about it. So really, when it comes down to it, if if you're uh, doing a setup on a budget, sp spend the most money on lighting? I'd say that would be the, the main focus, yeah. If you had to prioritize your money, focus it on lighting. Lighting is definitely the most important aspect. I mean, I know humans do better when they get some sunlight because we are basically just big walking, talking plants. <laughs> but, you know. All right. Well, um, so tent, some kind of surface that you can put something reflective on, something that's sealed off to the elements and some good lighting. That kind of seems to be the basics of it, you know, other than like maybe a pot and some dirt to throw your plant into obviously the seed itself which you'll need if you actually plan on growing something but uh let's talk a little bit more about the plant itself and um just some different terms and the different like life cycles it goes through i guess yeah definitely well i mean you have your initial seed that kind of falls off right and then the first sign of life you're going to see out of that seed is called a radicel and the radicel is essentially just a fancy word for a baby root and that's the first thing that kind of pops out of a seed and that's how you know that that seed is viable and that it's going to grow um so you go from seed and then that goes into seedling and all of this is going to be vegetative growth at this moment it's going through a little process called mitosis which i can dwell into later but it's a bit too complex <laughs> <laughs> for a quick conversation and um so you go from seedlings and then eventually it goes into a juvenile stage and then obviously you get that uh the um what's it called reproductive growth which comes a little bit later in life a little bit later in the season after you've gone through your photo periods and all that stuff yeah um i mean to uh to to simplify it a little bit uh, so we're not throwing all the, the botany jargon out there. <laughs> um, you're you're going to see, like you said, your seedling, uh, which will go into a vegetative state. Um, honestly, the biggest difference between that is when you start seeing those fully developed leaves, that's when it's really considered in vegetative. Uh, vegetative is, uh, especially if you have a photo period plant versus an auto flowering plant, uh, photo period just means that you, you actually have to will adjust the timing on this to get it to go into flowering. And that's the timing on the lights. The timing on the lights, yes, thank you. Uh, you're going to want longer light and shorter darkness when it's in vegetative. Um, that's just going to give it a little extra uh, energy to grow. And then as you want it to switch into flowering, which is the next stage, that's where you actually see the development of those flowers, uh, you'll switch it into more of a, an even light cycle. 12-12 is usually recommended. 
Well, and it's it's a lot like nature as well. You think about it, you are starting in the spring and growing in the summer. The days are long, the nights are short. And then as you come to the end of the growing season, you have less sunlight. And it's actually plants base their reproductive cycles off of the sunlight cycle. It's not about the temperature. They base it off of how a little light they're getting so that's when they know to flower so when you go and start doing that uh longer dark periods you're definitely going to see the flowering starting to come out you're tricking it into thinking it's harvesting season basically yeah pretend fall (laughs) (laughs) well i think that kind of covers like the just like very basic life stages of the plant itself um and i know i briefly touched on this before but you can get your plants from seeds obviously that's probably the most common way people think of but what is the difference between starting your plant with a seed versus getting a clone so right now there is a lot of legislation in canada you basically can't really get a clone it's not as a consumer you can't really get a clone it's hard to obtain so you you're kind of stuck with seeds but in the industry itself they definitely use clones i know they can get like 600 clones out of a mother plant and that's actually increased in recent years with developments in tissue culture and tissue culture is basically just taking a single cell from that mother plant and growing it into a new whole plant Uh, I found that they can fit almost 2 million baby cannabis plants in 2,000 square feet. Wow. And so, I mean, the main difference is with seeds, you get this thing called hybrid vigor. And basically, you've uh, diversified the gene enough that it's going to be better resistant to disease. You're going to get a new fun strain that you can kind of try out. Um, And it's just a, a fun next generation to look into. Awesome. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, if you want to try clones, maybe find a buddy that's growing. Ask if they got some clones. (laughs) I know there's definitely some underground markets. I'm not going to point it out in case there's like any narcs listening, but uh, you can definitely find them in very, uh, very obvious ways. The other thing about clones is that it maintains the genetic makeup of the parent. Now, the problem is, is, um, You're going to see a lot of genetic mutation as you go through the generations. And then obviously, if you keep cloning off of a clone and cloning and cloning, you kind of run into that like 15th century royal family dilemma where you have a lot of inbreeding and a lot of problems. You know, farm kitty syndrome. (laughs) Genetic drift. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think another difference to note between uh, seeds and clones as well I mean, like you were saying, you, you know what you're getting when you have a clone, right? So the nice thing about that is if, uh, if a friend has a female plant and they've already determined it is female, they take a clone clipping for you and they send it your way, you have a female plant. You're not spending a bunch of time waiting for that plant to mature from a seed and then finding out that it's a male when you wanted flowers. And that's the biggest thing. That's, that's why most in most horticulture industries why they use clones is you skip that juvenile stage and you get your weed a lot faster i mean isn't it also just like a good way to guarantee that you're getting the same strain over and over like i know especially for like a an lp or a company you'd want consistency so keeping a clone versus trying to grow from seed you're guaranteed that consistency whereas every time you plant a seed it's a whole new plant 
I will say, though, one benefit to growing from a seed is you do get a better rooting system because you get that initial taproot. It gets into the ground. It starts to burrow out, and the roots are going to develop more than the initial plant, more than the, 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 the leaves will in the beginning. A lot of what's developing is under the dirt, so you don't really see it. So you're getting a lot of that rooting system, so it's a more solid plant. Mm-hmm. So in the end, I guess it would really just depend on the each person's own individual growing style and what works best for them. Exactly. It's all preference. All right. Well, um, I think that's pretty much all the basics we kind of wanted to cover. Uh, We'll keep moving right along here. Um, So kind of one of the first steps that you'll need to learn how to do if you are going the route of seeds is some different germination techniques. Um, Why don't we just start off plain and simple and pros and cons to just planting it directly into your dirt One of the biggest pros is obviously you don't have to transplant it. And transplant shock is where you're going to lose a lot of your plants, Um, either through your own mishandling or the plant just like wants to die. Sometimes we don't know why they die. There's a lot of mystery still with plants. Uh, So that's the biggest pro. One of the cons, however, is you just never know if it is going to germinate and you don't know if you're providing the correct circumstances for it to grow i i so i will say i am i am still a fairly new grower i'm only on my first round but while i was trying to do my germinating i i tried one in a direct to soil and i i was impatient i had no idea if it was working or not and i i went to go check because i'm special like that and lo and behold i dug it up and (laughs) destroyed the seed so, yeah, that's definitely a huge con to doing direct-to-soil. I mean, it's kind of just seems like it's a, a guessing game. It's kind of a more lazy germination technique and might work for some. Like, if honestly, if it works for you, keep doing it. Obviously, you've got something that's working well for you. But there are, you know, there are definitely some cons and some pros to each one of these. Well, and the other thing about direct-to-soil as well, and any other type of seed planting, is if you plant it too deep. If you plant it too deep, your plant's just going to die in there. It's never going to be able to emerge with those first leaves, and it's never going to see the sunlight. So it doesn't matter how you're planting your seed, you always want to have it shallow, not deep. A good rule of thumb is always the um, length of the seed. That's how deep you want to plant something, is the length of the seed. So pretty much just make a little divot and put it on top if you're doing it because cannabis seeds aren't that big (laughs) it's it's always better to just put it right on top and after you water it especially if it's in soil the soil is just going to cover it anyway so don't don't put a big hole in it all right well i mean there's not not too much to talk about with direct to soil it's it's pretty kind of obvious i mean you take the seed you stick it in dirt you hope it grows um now if somebody were wanting to try and plant like multiple seeds or wanted to guarantee or actually see the process of their seed tapping, why might they want to set up something like a germination station? I'm a big fan of the germination station. I have a lot of hydro domes and trays and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's kind of a more fancier way of doing it, but it's actually not that um, expensive. I mean, it's 
maybe 10 bucks for a dome and 10 bucks for a tray from a local growing store as long as you buy off season that's the biggest thing too is you save money when you buy things that are like in the winter because they just want to get rid of that stuff the local garden center near my work knows me quite well um <laughs> but if you if you don't want to make that initial investment uh again fast food containers really work especially if they have like a clear lid to them uh ziploc bags saran wrap works really really well for locking in moisture you just kind of put it over whatever you're growing in tupperware that kind of stuff is always going to work yeah i'd say the the nice thing about a germination station specifically um is it is it does have all that stuff that you need and it's all just kind of in one if you end up investing in the actual device it's uh it kind of just keeps everything at that that perfect environment for you the perfect everything <laughs> so it's like having a little mini tent essentially but just for your for your seedlings until they pop the biggest thing is it just maintains your humidity which cannabis loves it loves humidity it doesn't like direct water so much but it loves humidity well um so other than having like a germination station to put the seeds in um I know there are some other methods as well that people can do to help improve the seed, help help the seed grow. Um, one of the things we wanted to touch on was doing an overnight soak. Yeah, that's uh, one of the oldest, easiest methods. Uh, honestly, people love it because it is so simple. You get a cup of water, a shot glass of water, you drop a couple seeds in, you leave them overnight, you pull them out, and you go to town. <laughs> And the biggest thing that that is doing is sometimes seeds have hard outer coatings to them and you kind of want to break that outer coating and letting it sit in water overnight is one of the easiest ways to kind of do that. Uh, some people will use distilled water. You really don't need to use distilled water. Most cities have a good enough pH. <laughs> so basically it's like putting something in water just to kind of break down the membrane to give it a better chance to kind of like push through and to tap well and it also um gets the seed uh that moisture that it needs to kind of grow as well so those enzymes are kind of like absorbing that water and they're moving it around and now the plant is starting to grow in the seed which helps it break and another thing that it does is your viable your good seeds are going to sink to the bottom while your bad seeds are going to go to the top so you just kind of skim the top you take those bad seeds out and then the good seeds are at the bottom a good tip for getting rid of the bad ones i know sometimes especially if you just got some bag seeds from the weed that you've been collecting it can be kind of hard to tell if they're gonna actually do anything or not so seems like it's got uh, some multiple uses there um i know one that we've actually personally tried ourselves is um the paper towel method i'd say that's probably my favorite method personally and this is this is all preference um i've just found it's it's super easy to grab a plate throw a paper towel down, dampen it a little bit, um, put your seeds down on top of it. The important thing here is cheap paper towels. If you get those fancy ones that have all like the weave designs in it and all the cushy, that's not gonna work because this is a little taproot that's gonna pop out of the seed and it's got all these little hairs on it. So all these little hairs are gonna grab into the fibers of that, that cushy paper towel. Um, so just use cheap paper towel. Um, but anyway, you take two sheets of it, nice and moist, damp, don't over soak them, and put them one on the bottom, some seeds, one on top. 
then put another plate down. And that's just going to kind of lock that moisture in, like the humidity that Doom keeps speaking about. Uh, that's, that's important, especially when they're young. They really like humidity when they're young, especially. Kind of sounds like a little mini germination station almost. Essentially, yeah. Just uh, some plates and paper towel. And like the thing is, is you can just keep this on top of your fridge. It doesn't really like light. You think about seeds, they typically grow in the ground. They don't like light. There are a few species like lettuce that love to germinate in light. But for the most part, you are going to want to kind of keep it out of the light. It doesn't have to be complete darkness, but just shaded. Yeah, I know we uh we ended up keeping the plate in the the top of one of our cabinets, so the the snack cabinet actually, because <laughs> it's just a tall dark cabinet that we don't really open too often. So. And one of the most important things with that too is, uh, fight the urge to check on it regularly. <laughs> I was uh very bad at this. I wanted to re I wanted to check it so many times. So I I set myself the twice. I could check it in the morning, and then I could check it twelve hours later at night. That was it. No more in between. Well, because the thing is, is every time you check it, you kind of lose that water, right? And you don't really need to keep adding water to it. If you've moistened the paper towel enough, like not soaking wet, obviously, you kind of want to make sure like you wring it out, but that should be more than enough water to kind of get it going. Fair enough. So what I've taken away from this is uh, you definitely want to get the dollar store paper towels. This is an excuse get the cheap version you don't need to get the overpriced plushy stuff get the cheap version for this one now this one is a newer term that uh this today was actually the first time i had heard of it um starter cubes what's the benefits of using them versus not starter cubes uh i mean they they're nice because all you have to do is kind of just soak them and go um i've got jeffy jiffy pods myself there's like rapid rooters they're just these little pre-packed dirt pods really you sink your seed in it you seal it all up and it's ready the nice thing about the jiffy pods the one that i use is you soak them in the water that you want to use ahead of time they saturate all that up and there's all the water that you need for the next while and that's and honestly it's kind of industry standard to use uh, these starter cubes, sometimes they're called plugs, uh, sometimes they're called cells. Uh, it depends on like kind of like where you're getting your terms from, but they're all the same thing. Sometimes they're rock wool, uh, which is just spun rocks. Uh, you have peat moss, uh, which is a great moisture holder. Like it doesn't like over soak, but it also keeps that moisture in really nice. And actually we have a lot of peat bogs, sphagnum peat bogs in Canada. We're like the largest producer of sphagnum peat moss mm -hmm. uh, and it's illegal in the UK. So we can't ship it over there. But Germany is the second biggest producer of sphagnum peat moss. Uh, and it's technically not considered a soil either. Um, a lot of these plugs are going to be soilless. And by soilless, they just mean that there's not going to be dirt in there. It's going to be peat. It's going to be like cocoa core. It's going to be like perlite. Uh, I've seen people use clay balls, like uh, cured clay balls. Uh, you can use rocks, gravel. There's a lot of different ways. Well, seems seems fairly straightforward. Um I think that was all we wanted to really cover for germination techniques. I mean, it's kind of pretty simple. You just really want to give the seed the best chance to actually pop out of its casing and grow. 
and honestly my preferred method this is what i personally do i get a giant tray uh essentially or like you can use like tupperware or something like that just a big old tray i fill it with cocoa core now cocoa core is the byproduct of the coconut industry like when you get the juice from it you sell it as juice you get the meat from it you sell it as meat what do you do with the husk what they do is they like crush that thing like crazy bale it dry it super cheap it's like 25 bucks on amazon you get five kilograms dried and when i mean dried i mean it puffs up to about 10 times the size it's insane and so i use that it's completely sterile it's soilless so to speak and then i put the cocoa core down i mist it lightly and then i throw my seeds onto there a little saran wrap or a humidity dome on top and that's how you do it if uh if anyone's ever had any reptiles or any work or ever worked at like a pet store you you'd, you'd actually be familiar with it because they do actually use it uh sometimes as like a substrate substrate for reptiles and whatnot and it's because you get this giant brick and you just soak it and it gives you this large tub like i would soak a brick when i worked at a pet store and i could use that to clean out the entire wall of reptiles basically and we had like 12 like smaller cages and like one bigger one but like it was still like a lot from like a small little brick you get a ton from Coco Core. And the other thing to boast about it too is that mold won't grow on it. So that's the biggest thing is it keeps your plant sterile. Um, and baby plants, seedlings, like when they have those first two leaves, those baby leaves, the colitodons, uh, they don't quite need nutrients from the soil just yet because they haven't established that root system. So Coco Core doesn't have any nutrients in it, but that's perfect for seedlings. They don't need it. Don't waste fertilizer on seedlings. Sorry, can I get you to repeat how you how you pronounced the what that word the the two the two leaves that pop out of the seed? Colitodon. Colitodon. They're called. Uh, you can go into like monocots and dicots, but basically it's the food storage for the seed in there. So it provides the initial carbohydrates. It provides the initial photosynthesis at the beginning, and then it allows for the first true leaves to grow. And when the first true leaves start to grow, that's when it's truly a seedling. Um, but the first two leaves are called colitodons. They're like the baby teeth of the plant. Perfect. I, I kept seeing the term and I could not for the life of me figure out how to pronounce it on my own. So that is greatly appreciated. <laughs> Well, since we started to talk a little bit more about the plant as it started to develop, um, why don't we talk about some different training methods that you can do as a plant grows? Um, first and foremost, why not start off with why would you want to train a plant? Uh, well, so especially important with cannabis, uh, if you let cannabis just go on its own, it's going to focus all of its energy into one big bud right in the center that's going to get taller than the rest. And that may sound awesome because that one bud's going to get a lot, but all the other ones around it just aren't going to really get as much. Um, a good way to think about it, if you think about the recreational cannabis market, um, there's a, a few companies that have tiers to uh, to their brands. We can use, yeah, we can use Sundial as an example because they'll have a few different brands that, uh, that get broken down using a similar tier system of those top buds being the biggest they're going to go to top leaf uh the buds that kind of grow in the middle they really don't get as much light so those will go to uh sundial itself and all the stuff in the bottom that's a little more popcorny it's still off the same plant but it didn't get as much development we go into grasslands so the reason you want to do this training is so that you don't get one big cola 
and everything else kind of suffers. So basically you do it kind of just to increase the amount of quality buds that you would get, especially if uh, you're growing in a small amount of space. Exactly. You can kind of spread it out, have a more even canopy. Um, the actual flowers and leaves will be more even in height. So you have a few that are doing quite well instead of just one. And they do this they do this a lot with any type of food, like you think tomatoes or strawberries or something. You want every level to kind of get sunlight and nutrients and you don't want just one really nice strawberry. You don't want just one really nice tomato. You want the whole plant to flourish because, I mean, it ultimately comes down to money as the world kind of uh, spins is you get more profit out of one plant. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a, a smart business decision to do things like that, because then the whole plant is having the chance to actually grow to its potential. Whereas when it's in the wild, some of the quality does vary because of the plant not all getting the same amount of nutrients, same amount of light, water, whatever. Oh, yeah. And then on the personal note, if you're growing for yourself or your own supply, well, you're going to be left with a bunch of mediocre buds and a few that were pretty good whereas you could have had had more that were were nice buds so really it's just a good idea especially if you're trying to get the most bang for your buck it's a really good idea for home grows all right um so let's just go through, over some more kind of like basic sort of training methods kind of um little tips that you can kind of do to help your plant grow. Um, one of the more kind of basic things along with just general training is defoliation. So there's a lot of controversy around defoliation in cannabis. Um, a lot of people love it and a lot of people think that it's very detrimental to the plant. Um, I think that that can vary depending on the strain. There's a lot of different strains that like a more bushy vibe uh, and others that like more of a lollipop cut as it, as it's sometimes referred to well it depends on what you're doing and when you're doing it obviously when the plant first sprouts up you're not going to cut off the first two leaves um but you want to leave enough leaves that because the leaves are how the plant produces its food it's how it gets its sugar uh, so you don't want to take too many leaves but at the same time the leaves are taking nutrients from the plant so it comes down to a perfect balance between wanting to cut enough that they're not stealing nutrients but cutting not cutting so much that they can't make nutrients for the root system too right um now, i uh, i heard a good rule of thumb is never more than 20 percent of the leaves kind of yeah it, it kind of comes down to trial and error at a point uh every plant is going to be different you you definitely don't want to take too much because if you take too much you're going to stress out your plant and it's going to start doing funky things especially if like you cut off the say the top of the plant which is called the epical meristem that's basically where a lot of the growth hormone comes from and if you cut that it's going to start uh, growing more bushy instead of up so when you cut the top you get a more bushy growth and when you don't cut the top you get a more vertical growth now the bushy growth obviously you're going to get more sunlight hitting more areas but again you're going to get a lot more things that you kind of have to cut off later so uh, that's that's actually a, uh, a training method that we're gonna go over a little bit more so but 
Uh, some people will actually specifically do that to try and get a more bushy plant, which again, in like a home grow space can actually work out pretty well. Um, but along, along the lines of defoliation, um, I'd say like Doom was saying the whole trial and error thing, I find a lot of what's been working best for the plants that we have is just kind of doing a little bit at a time and really just watching the plants, monitoring them, monitoring them day to day to see how they respond to it and kind of just really looking at it and being like, okay, well, is this too much? It, it really is just trial and error. And it's always better to undercut than to overcut. You always want to cut less than you think you should need. Same thing with watering. I, I do find, uh, especially when it starts to develop a little bit more, you kind of want to just watch where the leaves are falling. If you have a big leaf that's covering a bud zone, maybe cut that leaf. If it's not something that you can reasonably tuck without it getting tucked into the plant awkwardly. Um, if you have a couple of large leaves or a few large leaves that are all bundled together and rubbing up on each other and resting on each other, well, that's a nice little tight space for moisture to build up and you might get some mold. So you might want to watch for that as well. If you got a whole bunch of leaves that seem to be mingling together a lot and are a little bit closer buddies than they should be, time to cut them off. So well, I know one of the methods that we want to talk about is uh, fimming, which... Uh, kind of like cutting the leaves but instead of cutting the whole thing you just cut off the tips basically <laughs> yeah fimming f-i-m uh it, it literally means fuck i missed <laughs> just the tip just the tip <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's a it's an interesting method that uh i actually see it a lot in cloning when uh, people take clone clips uh they'll cut or fim some of the lower leaves, the fan leaves, where they just cut the tip of the leaf off itself um, and it kind of just looks like a stubby little hand after. Because that's the thing is the bottom leaves are honestly going to be the least important leaves of the entire plant. So those are a good place to kind of start. Uh, but by cutting off like half the leaf or a quarter of the leaf, you still get that surface area that the sun and can come in and photosynthesize and all that fun stuff. But you're also not uh, stressing the plant too much. However, you do have to be careful though, because you are still wounding the plant. You do need to almost be surgical about it. You need to sterilize. I like to use isopropyl. You can use bleach, anything that'll clean it. And you want something that's going to be sharp because you also don't want to crush the precious vascular system in your leaves either seems fair i mean the vascular system which is basically like veins just like humans have is how it moves its nutrients all about so you wouldn't want to crush those otherwise the plant really can't eat yeah one of the one of the easiest ways to think about the fan leaves the big leaves on the plant is they're kind of like little solar panels they'll suck in the energy for the plant yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Um, so some other kind of basic training methods. Um, one I know that we've been, that we tested out with our plants as well is uh, low stress training. Yeah, low stress training versus high stress training. Uh, low stress is pretty much just kind of bending and manipulating the branches while they're still young and easy to do so without actually breaking anything of it, not, uh, not breaking any of the integrity down. Hence the term low stress. Exactly. Um, a common way to do that, which is actually another method, is called scrogging, the screen of green, um, in which you just kind of weave. 
So we'll get in we'll get into that later. But you you would weave them. Um, it kind of controls the way they grow and bends them in a way that they take up more surface area and don't grow as tall. And then that also kind of gives each of the buds more room to grow as well. It kind of spreads them out a little bit more. Yeah, depending on how you do the training, you can really manipulate where that goes and how they how how much spacing they have and where they'll end up. And sometimes what I do see is they'll attach the top of the plant to a string and the string is attached to like a a horizontal string above kind of thing. And what they'll do is they'll drop the main vertical string about an inch every week or so, and that helps kind of lower the plant. So you can still kind of cut the top of the plant and still keep using the top of the plant, but now you don't have to worry about too much top growth or getting too tall for your space. I think that's kind of like the main main reason you would want to do some low-stress training. I know I've brought it up before, you know, growing in a home, whatnot especially if you've got like a tent you might not have a super tall space so the low stress training kind of does definitely give it that more bushy appearance so it doesn't grow as tall so you're not necessarily having to worry about that as much yeah a lot a lot of these methods are really only necessary in an indoor grow because you are limited to your space um well we kind of talked about this a little bit um why don't we just go into screen of green now because you already brought it up. It kind of goes with the low stress training. Yeah. So screen of green is uh, easiest way I can describe it is you get a very wide feed net um, and it goes over top of the plant. And as it starts growing and going through its vegetative state, you start taking those stems and kind of tucking them and weaving them through this net so that they grow outward instead of upward. Uh, it just, it levels out your canopy. You can get some more grow sites that way. Um, and it really helps utilize more space, especially if you are restricted in height. All right. Well, we did another subject we kind of briefly touched on earlier that I said we'd circle back to um, is the concept of topping. I feel like this will kind of fit in here as we're talking about ways to make your plant more bushy rather than tall. Oh, yeah. This is one of those things that you want to do pretty early on. Uh, a lot of people recommend after about the, the fourth set of leaves has been produced, um, you just want to cut the top off of the, the next set that's producing. And you'll see some new developments just to the side, two new little growths instead of the one that start to take off and produce their own stems. What you're essentially doing is when you pinch off the top, you're kind of stopping the uh, if stopping, not stopping it per se, but you're inhibiting it from growing upwards and you're releasing a different type of hormone that has it grow sideways. And you see this in a lot of more bushy plants. It's called cytokinin. It's a hormone that grows sideways essentially. And so by pinching off the top, you activate that and then you get more bushy growth. This works for any plant. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of these methods can actually be applied to just kind of like plants in general, especially if you are like growing from in your home. Like you could have a tent to grow tomatoes, like legitimately growing tomatoes or have like a little home greenhouse. And a lot of these tips would actually work for it, too. It's not just cannabis specifically, but a lot of these tips and a lot of the uh, keywords that we're using are kind of used more for cannabis. Well... To go with topping, um, I know because this kind of just leads into it, what is the whole concept behind mainlining? 
mainlining is just a a specific form of topping. Uh, you top the plant once to get your first initial spread off. So you have two main lines, which you can bring off to the side. And as you get a little bit more development, you do another top on each of those. So instead of having two, you now have four. And you can kind of spread them off to the side, spread those ones out. And from there, you start kind of manipulating it. I've seen a lot of people that'll end with eight main lines, where they break it off another time from there and spread those out to almost an octagonal shape. So if you were to look at the plant, like bird's eye view, it just looks like the the uh, the eight points of an oct octagon. And ultimately, all this is going to do is increase how much sunlight each level is going to get. So you're going to fully utilize that that plant in its entirety. Yeah, going back to kind of like what you said about like strawberries earlier and how they do this kind of thing for it is it's yeah, it's really to get it all at the same level so that it's all getting the same light, getting the same nutrients. It's all at the same height. That consistency throughout the plant helps all of it kind of grow better. Um, now, another thing to go kind of go along with screen of green that we talked about earlier is well, kind of to go with it, but also almost like an opposite sort of method, I guess, is a sea of green. <laughs> yeah, sea of green, not to be confused with screen of green. Uh, you'll often see screen of green as scrog and sea of green as sog, S-O-G. Um, pretty much with a sea of green, you've just got a whole bunch of plants that have a very shortened vegetative state. They generally only go into vegetative state for maybe four weeks which uh, oftentimes you'll see four to even eight weeks for vegetative for other other strains. Um, but the point of this is to have a whole bunch of small plants that just kind of build up this big bushy space. So you've just got a room full of buds. So it literally just looks like a sea of green when oh, you're looking at it. 100%. <laughs> and it's beautiful. <laughs> well, I mean, cannabis itself is just beautiful, you know. Agreed. Um, well, I think there's only a couple other really training methods that we wanted to touch base on today. Um, the next one is uh, super cropping. Yeah, so we did mention uh, LST, low stress training earlier, and HST, so high stress training. That is going to be the opposite here. Uh, super cropping is the most widely used form of HST. Uh, basically, it's breaking down the... In interior tissue of the plant stem. Uh, a lot of people do this by kind of just lightly massaging the stem itself. Um, very careful not to break the skin on the outside because that's going to expose it to a bunch of unwanted bacterias. Um, and what this does is it makes it soft enough to bend and manipulate to your will. So you can get a harsher bend, especially if you don't top your plant and you have one big cola, you can bend it down to kind of be on the level of the others. And the other thing to know is the reason why you don't really want to damage the skin too much is because the xylem and the phloem, which are essentially like the arteries of humans, uh, kind of reside almost on that outer wall and they transport nutrients throughout the plant. And if you kill off its main life source, that's essentially like just ripping somebody's heart out. Uh, it's not it's not going to come back from that. Again, you want to leave, you know, the, the food pathways clear so that your food, your plant can actually eat and grow. So basically, super cropping is just a form of high stress training 
Yeah, I'd say it's one of the more common forms of high stress training. I mean, sounds high stress to me. You're trying to break down the plant itself a bit. <laughs> it's definitely a more advanced technique. I wouldn't recommend doing it on your first grow or maybe even your second, but a lot of veteran growers swear by it. And it's always better to just practice on like a cheap plant. Like it doesn't have to be cannabis, like any other plant you can absolutely try this out on. And then you can kind of do trial and error and then eventually move on to like the big deal. Tomatoes are actually great if you're wanting to grow cannabis, but you don't want to quite take that leap because you're not sure. Get some cheap tomato plants. They grow very similar. They're kind of related and uh, they act very similar. So you'll be able to kind of test out some of these methods on the tomato plant. If you can grow a tomato plant, you can grow anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you're right there. Um, and then I guess this leaves <laughs> kind of a weird one to leave for last in our technique talk, but uh, the, the no technique technique. <laughs> uh, yeah, in, in cannabis, it is known as the no technique. It's, uh, it's one that a lot of new users, will, or not new users, but new growers will trial with. Pretty much, it's a form of LST where when the plant is really young, you tie it down so that it grows horizontal. And every time it sprouts a little bit more, you just continue to tie it down so that all of the little branches that come off of it are the new colas. And they can grow straight up from this this line that you've made. And that's actually commonly used in nurseries where they make trees. Uh, it's a cloning technique, so you can absolutely clone your plants that way as well. I mean, it's a really good way to make sure you got a bunch of viable clones or trees or whatever. All from one plant that you know is producing well. So uh, now that we've gone over some, you know, basic like training methods, different techniques, um, we've kind of given you some tips uh, to hopefully help your plant produce better flowers. Let's talk about the whole flowering stage of the plant in general. First off, let's just start with basic flowering development yeah um one of the one of the cool things with cannabis is once they go into flowering they start to change so quickly uh, i guess this is true with any plant but you can see the changes every day uh it starts off with uh, the flowering stretch is one of the first big things that you'll notice the plants are pretty much going to double in height so make sure that you're really keeping an eye on that when you're when you're doing a, a tent grow especially if you're limited on height I would I would I would plan for that plant to almost triple in height just in case. And the thing is is flowers are basically like the reproductive organs of a plant. Uh cannabis especially can have either or like can they're separated by gender. Some plants are both genders, some plants are both genders in separate sections of themselves. But cannabis is one gender a plant. So you have the females and you have your males. So the females are going to have the ovaries and the males are essentially going to have, they're called stamens to be polite, but it's uh, the male sex organ. Which uh, in cannabis is usually referred to as a sack or a banana. Because it looks like a banana. Well, the exposed ones do. Yeah, you get your sacks, which look like these little green <laughs> sacks, uh, really. And then you get the, the bananas, the nanners. Um, and those are like these bright yellow, vibrant green sticks. What do you call them? Stamens? Yeah. They they look like uh, like little boy plants. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you're picturing it. We all drew it in middle school. But think of a very crude drawing of uh, 
you know, some genitalia, some sperm producing genitalia. You can tell it's a male. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a uh, that's for sure, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh one thing that you'll you'll want to look for when you're waiting and watching for female is you're going to see what's called a calyx. It's a little grouping of leaves that kind of curl together and hug around the pistil or the little hair that you would see on your cannabis. You know, it's that little orange hair, that brown, brownish color. Uh, that's, uh, that's a little hair that's actually going to catch any of the pollen if there were a male plant around. Um, if you see that hair, you're pretty much good to go. Keep in mind, it's going to be quite bright when it initially comes out. It's almost more of a white uh, with a green hint to it. Because, yeah, the calyx uh, kind of develops on almost all fruit. Uh, you think about, um, like, the little green part on the top of a tomato. Like, that's exactly the same thing. Yeah, it all kind of looks very similar, too. Um, if you, uh, if you know, you've ever picked down your bud right to the stem and had, like, the little tiny pieces that they're intact, but they're stuck to the stem, those are the calyxes. They look like these little cones with like a hair sticking out of them. Now they don't look, they look much smaller and a lot more green on a growing plant, but that's essentially what they look like. Yeah, the little teardrops. Uh, so basically what you'll see from there is all of these little calyxes developing, a whole bunch of pistols popping out of nowhere. Um, you're, you're gonna have a hairy little bud that's starting to develop. Uh, and over time, those pistols are going to start to go from that white coloration to a deeper amber, more of a brown, and that's just them dying off with age. That's what you're going to want on a plant that you're smoking. You'll start to see as the flowers kind of fatten up a little bit, that's, that's going to happen later on. Once the buds have developed, they start to fill out. Now, the fun thing about cannabis is um, all flowers turn into fruit, and cannabis fruit is called an akeen and the akeen is essentially just like a very dry type of fruit that holds your seeds and like what you might think of fruit is is a very different definition across horticulture and botany uh there's like pine cones are fruit um uh, like those little uh winged things that fall off of trees those are called samaras those are fruit so there's different types of fruit I know there was the controversy a few years ago when everybody found out tomatoes were fruit. Well, guess what? Most things are fruit. Uh, <laughs> pumpkins are fruit. Uh, peppers cucumbers. are fruit. Cucumbers are fruit. Pretty much everything's a fruit. Um, but like an akeen, it's cousin, or another type of akeen is that coating that you would get on the outside of a sunflower seed. It's a hard, dry coating, essentially. It was basically a fancy word for the shell. <laughs> um so those are kind of you know some of the basic changes you see with the plant like that you can physically see just from a quick glance as the plant is changing during the flowering development um what about at a more microscopic level the the goodies the goodies we love talking about the goodies uh so after you see those pistols all change to that deep amber color you know it's time to start watching the trichome development on your plant the best way to do this, and honestly, actually, a lot of people have a good enough camera on their phone nowadays that you could just take a nice close-up picture and zoom up, and you can probably tell a lot from that picture. However, they're not very expensive. Go and look up a, a jeweler's loop. Um, get one of those and get some really close-up looks at the trichomes. You're going to notice that 
they'll start developing with these tiny little mushroom heads that are slowly going to get bigger and bigger. And they're going to look like little droplets of water on a stick, nice and clear. Over time, those little water droplets are going to start to get a little bit more cloudy. And eventually, they'll turn into a more amber coloration. There's a ton of debate over when you should harvest. A lot of people uh, very strongly believe that you should harvest when they're amber. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons on when you should harvest. Uh, one of them being the different effects that you can get. Uh, a very young trichome, the clear trichomes, they gen generally have a more cerebral or heady hit to them. Uh, the amber ones generally have a more body heavy one. That's that's why a lot of people would tend to lean toward that or tend to aim for that one. Really what you're going to want to look for is when they are cloudy and starting to get a little bit amber in coloration, that's kind of your perfect time, especially if you're going to be doing a, what's called a flush. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Well, and the reason why you would want to harvest it early, you think about all consumables that we have they generally like to pick everything early so that by the time it reaches the consumer it's already ripe and ready to go the same thing goes for cannabis it is a fruit at the end of the day so it just it just it kind of helps it extend its life while it's in transport so it's better for like a corporation to do but for a home grower i would wait until you do see that amber color yeah, definitely as a home girl, you do have the luxury of being able to wait to make sure your buds are fully matured. Whereas with any fruit in a corporate setting, it is shipped out before it is technically ripe or before it's technically good to eat so that it lasts longer, not only on the store shelf, but in transport. Because you think it's got to get to the distribution warehouse from the farm, then it's got to get to the truck's then to the individual stores, then to the home, right? So when it's aging that whole time, like it never stops aging. It's a live living thing just because it's not technically connected to the plant itself anymore. Um, and one thing I did want to bring up is for just a little reminder for anybody who may not have listened to the previous episodes or may have forgotten, you know, stoner brain. Um, trichomes are where like your terpenes and like the THC is generally held. They're the nice frosting on your uh, bud cake yes yes like we said the goodies <laughs> uh, i think it is important to note as well that if you're if you're thinking on an lp side of things you're you're going to want to look to at a mass producer definitely be pushing it a lot sooner you're probably going to have underdeveloped trichomes or very clear trichomes or uh, just not really given the opportunity to fully mature Whereas a uh, microgrower, for example, they have the time to take that extra care, to put the extra time into it, to wait for those little details that do make that experience a little better. And you can definitely see it in the quality of some of these things. Like, I mean, that's why you have like a $50 eighth. Oh, exactly. Which we kind of touched on with our, with our comparison episode with Blue Dream, right? You could see the difference in waiting for that full development or rushing it out to market. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really comes down to the company itself. And like calling back to that Blue Dream episode, Aurora is more of a company that focuses on quantity over quality. And not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but they're definitely more focused on pumping out more rather than taking the time to curate a better bud. Whereas you've got something like Simply Bear that is one of those micro groweries that actually has the time to focus on making a better bud. 
And I mean, you also have the problem too, where it's, I call it the black and Decker effect. Uh, basically some companies have created an amazing product. Everybody knows that it's an amazing product, so they can kind of start to skimp on the uh, quality quest. <coughs> um, but, uh, Simply Bear always puts out a fantastic product. Oh yeah, I've definitely seen that with a few few companies. They get their name out there, they they focus on the quality for a bit, and then once everybody knows their name and everybody reaches for them because they think it's good, they start skimping on the quality because that's the easiest way to cut back on costs for a lot of these things. Ask your bud tender, they know. Yeah, yeah, we're big fans of asking your bud tenders your questions. They are cannabis nerds too and would love to talk your ears off. Oh yeah, just open the door and they won't stop. Most of them, most of them just want to ramble. <laughs> well, speaking of rambling, before we get too far off on this tangent, um, we got one more thing we wanted to really talk about when it comes to flowering. And you did kind of mention this briefly. Um, flush. What is a flush? Why do you do a flush? And how long? Yeah, so uh, flush in the most basic sense is just straight water for the last couple of weeks that the plant is in flowering so that you can try and wash the newts out really those extra nutrients that you're nutrients that you're uh, putting in there <laughs> nutrients nutrients um you mean nitrogen or nutrients nutrients <laughs> uh those extra nutrients can be washed out of the plants so that you're not smoking them uh you've probably heard the the indication of quality when you're smoking your your cannabis if the ash is nice and white that means a lot of those nutrients are gone and it's a it's a clean product. When there's a lot of nutrients left, you see a very dark product. It's usually quite harsh. Uh, the flavor is quite affected as well. And the thing is, is you can easily get these testing kits to see what nutrients is kind of left in your soil to flush out and what you need to get rid of. Uh, I use like marine, like freshwater marine, like API or ADI or whatever puts out a really nice product. You just mix it with your soil and a little bit of water, add the drops in, bada boom, bada bing. You know how much nutrients is in your soil. Uh, root farm. Root farm is another one that puts out a really nice like pH test. Super simple, super easy. Uh, as for the length of flush, that's uh, that's been debated by a lot of people. Some people say a week is fine. Um, I've heard m most regularly two weeks is uh, what I've heard. Uh, up to about a month is, uh, I think, the longest that I've ever heard of someone doing a flush, at least. So it really all just kind of comes down to personal preference and what works best for you. Oh, yeah. and, and I mean, like Doom touched on, maybe doing a, a couple of tests to, to see where you're at and see if you need to do more. I love feeling like a chemist. I pull out my little vials and my little <laughs> my little uh, solutions and I'm standing there and I'm shaking it and looking at it. It makes you feel real special. Yeah, nothing makes me feel more important as an adult than when I mix things together and I wait. <laughs> uh, you did ask about the importance a little bit as well. Um, see, that's another one that's really strongly debated. There are a lot of people that really don't think there's... A reason to do a flush um, a lot of people that swear that they don't see a difference I I personally am not one of those believers I I believe that uh, that flushing is is awesome for a better a better quality in the end uh, just what I've seen before in the past where I have smoked stuff that that were very obviously wasn't flushed well and it was very harsh it was very dark it was very unappealing unpleasant 
Well, you see this a lot in very expensive, like very expensive, very rare tropical plants. People will do that almost on like a six month basis to kind of as like good housekeeping for their plant because sometimes those nutrients as good as the fertilizers are for your plant they are kind of a little too much it's like if you give a kid just a ton of candy yeah it's gonna give them some energy and they're gonna be great to go but they're gonna end up messing themselves on the carpet later too much of a good thing can be a bad thing all right well now that we've talked about the flowering next stage you know the fun part when you chop it down you get to smoke it what do you have to do to even get there i uh, i've heard i've heard the term you know like obviously drying um there's also i've heard cure as well what what is a dry or a cure uh essentially they're interchangeable terms for the most part uh, you do a dry or a cure at the end of your harvest once you have cut the plant down you want to Give it some time to kind of just hang and dry and get some of that extra moisture out of there. Uh, and once you have something that's a little easier to work with, cut it up into well, closer to, to your end bud results and throw them in a little jar. One of the best ways to do it is is get a big mason jar. Uh, well, like a 32-ounce mason jar, I think, is one of the standard ones I've and seen. it has to be glass. It has oh, yes. to be glass. Yeah, you don't want to throw it in, like, plastic or anything like that. Um, but... Get a few jars, fill them up, not to the top. I do at most 75% full, between half and 75% full, so that there's some room for the air to circulate in there. And uh, you're going to store them in a, in a decent temperature, dark place, somewhere that's just room temperature, so it's not too warm. Yeah, you don't have to go all out for it, but uh, for temperature-wise, personally, I like to use there are these little sensors. Uh, I found them at... Amazon. I don't really know what they're called. I think they're a hydrometer is what they're called. Uh, basically, you get like three little sensors and you get a main monitor and the three sensors, can, you can put them wherever. So put them in one of your jars, put them in your grow room. And then from the monitor, you can see your relative humidity and your temperature. And you can also track your historical data as well. And when you're drying or curing in the glass jars, you do want to keep that relative humidity around that 60 to 65% mark. And around 20 degrees Celsius is the general consensus. So basically, the drying or the curing process is stopping the growth of the plant for the most part. Exactly. So you're drying it out so that you can actually smoke it. Like you think about like wet lumber that you're trying to burn in a fireplace. It's not going to work. Um, but you also don't want it to be so wet that it's going to get moldy. So it's it's good to stay in that like 60% range. Yeah, the curing process is really good for uh, helping bring out the true flavors of the plant as well. Um, the reason that you're closing it up in a jar is because you are keeping those terpenes all locked up in there so that it helps lock in that flavor and try and keep as much of its true flavor as possible. Uh, you're going to do what's called burping. So at least once a day, if not twice, especially in the beginning, you're going to open up each of those jars and you're going to let some air in. Maybe even give them a little bit of a, a tumble around to, to move it so that you have the, the air touching all of the bud. And you're pretty much just doing that to reintroduce some fresh air and make sure that they're not getting too stale or getting too moist or humid. 
and that needs to be a light tumble. It's not a shake weight. Uh, you don't want to be breaking those trichomes either. You need to be really delicate in this process because if you ruin those trichomes, you've essentially ruined your buds. Um, it's it's like with the big manufacturers, the big LPs like Canopy and Aurora. They throw everything through a tumbler and you just crush the heck out of all the good stuff. You just want to be very delicate this whole process. As we've mentioned multiple times, the trichomes are the goodies. That's where a lot of your potency in the plant comes from. So you really do want to keep them intact if you want your bud to be strong. Well, I think that's uh, it pretty much covers the why of a dry cure. Um, now, how long do you kind of want to do a dry cure for? So curing generally takes, on average, about two, three weeks in total. Uh, that's really going to depend, though, on the humidity in that jar. Uh, I'd highly recommend, like Doom said, getting a little um, hydrometer or hy hy hygrometer. Uh, They're like hygrometer. 30 bucks on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, get one of those. Uh, get one for each jar, right? So you can throw it in each of them. You can keep the keep track of all of them. And uh, once they're once they're staying a consistent humidity, you know that they're they're pretty much cured. You want to see them sit right around 60 three is generally pretty good uh good practice if you've ever heard of these they're boost or boveda they're little humid packs get a couple of those and throw one each jar it'll help regulate the humidity inside uh i would say you know when you're curing you can do that for a few months uh i believe it's up to six months but uh correct me if i'm wrong there I think I've I've generally heard up to three months you're still like basically just like it's still pretty fresh because um, the thing is is you want to cure it so that you can kind of like dry it out enough but you also don't want to be losing all that flavor you don't want to be losing that tr that terpene profile to it right um, so it's a delicate balance between that like some people will hang dry it for a few days kind of thing at like uh, I don't know, like 50% humidity in the room and like 20 degrees, and then they'll put it in the glass jar and then they'll keep burping it. And you especially want to burp it a lot in the beginning just to kind of get all that stuff out of there, the like chlorophyll and all that like nastiness that you really don't want to smoke. And then not saying chlorophyll is bad, but it's not good for you. It adds a, a harshness to the, to the smoke. Soapweed. It's also, you know... A good way to make sure you're not getting mold releases some of the extra humidity. And that's the big part of it is like just getting rid of that mold and making it burnable. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much all we wanted to cover for a dry cure. And there's not really too much to go over with it. All right. Well, before we close off, uh, was there anything that you guys wanted to cover that we didn't talk about yet? Maybe any tips or tricks that you can think of for anybody just wanting to start out? Maybe some cheaper alternatives until they can afford a better setup? I mean, you can always do like the redneck setup that I currently have with the Pax wardrobe and your tin foil. Make sure the si the shiny side is out. You do not want the shiny side in. Um, and just like basic plant rotation and management. My biggest thing, like this is like the biggest thing that's driven home, like across the industry is sterilization. I cannot express the importance because without sterilization you're spreading disease you're hurting the plant like you think about when you go into surgery you don't want the dude to come in like 
fresh off the golf course and like (laughs) use the same tools that he used on the last guy and be like, all right, let's do this. Um, And the other thing, too, that comes back to sterilization is tobacco. So tobacco is actually one of it's a plant that's pretty much related to everybody. Um, But the tobacco industry in general, they don't take good care of their plants. And those plants are so inbred and so disease riddled. Uh, You don't notice it because they crush it. They put it in cigarettes. You don't really see it kind of thing. But if you were to touch or smoke tobacco and then touch your plant, you just gave your plant a disease. Fair enough. I mean, if anything, these this past uh, year and a half has taught us all is that sterilization is great to stop the spread of disease. We know how important that is. So, yeah, you know, if you're going to smoke a cigarette, uh, wash your hands and wear gloves afterwards because it don't touch, don't smoke, don't do it like tobacco. Don't do that around your plants like any plant in general. Just don't get tobacco near it. You hear to hear. Wash your hands always and forever. Should have been doing it before this. Should still do it afterwards. Just wash your hands, please. <laughs> Anything from you, Gorilla? Was there any tips or tricks that you could think of that you'd want to let anybody know? Um, anything in your experience that you'd like to bring up? I know if you're uh, if you're limited on space, make sure you're really watching that height. <laughs> That's yep. one thing that I did um, is I let them go a little long in vegetative state, and when I flipped them to flower, that flowering stretch, oh. We got close. (laughs) Yeah, we were quite concerned. We were going to have to try and do a whole bunch of moving around of the fan and the lights to try and give the plants more room. And thankfully, they stopped and have, like, the perfect amount of space between the lights. So it worked out perfectly. uh, Yeah, just keep an eye on your height, especially if you're growing in a tent inside. Uh, If it is your first time or first couple of times, research, 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 research. Go online. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know reddit wow the community is there there's a lot of people that really like to talk cannabis on there you got questions guys go online check things out yeah find a schedule and set it especially like if you're trying to get the best out of your cannabis a schedule is like one of the most important things when you're growing cannabis it's it's important to be organized i think also one thing i would just like to kind of say is like it is kind of a finicky plant it can be kind of difficult to find a method that works best for you so don't go sinking a whole bunch of money into a bunch of seeds right at the beginning i promise you it's not going to be worth it right then and there try and start off with some bag seeds try and go the cheap route because then that way you're not going to be kicking yourself later if you do screw up and they don't turn out the way you want my general rule of thumb is is um just keep killing plants until you stop and that's how you know you've hit success sounds about right I mean, it's kind of like your first car. You'd rather have a beater. So if you do end up driving into the ditch, at least it was a beater. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, uh, I think that's all we wanted to cover. It was a pretty good episode. Lots. Like I said, there was lots that we talked about. Um, We'll definitely be having Doom back again. Uh, She could talk our ears off for hours about Bonnie. So look, definitely look forward to some more episodes with her in it as well. Thank you for coming by. Always my pleasure. Like I said, we'll definitely have to have you on again. All right. Well, since this week's episode is over, just, you know, a few little closing things before we get out of here. Um, Make sure you check out our Instagram. It's at Weed Media Group. Two E's in the weed, two E's in the media. The spelling is in the description of all of our videos. 
episodes, not videos. <laughs> and yeah, we'll uh, can't wait to be back next week. Um, if you have any questions or concerns or any ideas on topics you want us to cover, we're always looking for ideas. Hit us up on Instagram. Please really just interact with us at all there. We love talking to people about weed. And remember, we'd chat about it.